Lord Jesus, you are the word made flesh who walks among us. Lord, even if we are in the wilderness, you are there with us. Here, now, Lord Christ, we ask that you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we, can, so that we might be able to hear from you and be formed more into your likeness. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So how do you feel about camping? Is that up your alley? Is that something you enjoy? That's all a thumbs down in the air, all right? Um, <laughs> it's funny because some people might say they like to camp, but when you talk to them about what it is they're about to do and, and the things that they're packing, it kind of makes you wonder, I- I'm not so sure that what you're doing is actually called camping. Uh, so, for example, maybe you hear that they're bringing, like, super dehydrated food, like space food or something like this. Um, in fact, you can go to REI, and there's, like, shelves of just, like, astronaut food is, is how it's advertised to you. And it's like, really, you're going to go into the wilderness and eat this, like, high-tech space food. Awesome. Uh, or you might hear that, like, you, you know, they're bringing their phone with them, which has a GPS, It's got maps downloaded to it. You can call someone if you're in trouble. Uh, Even the clothing that we wear when we're going camping is like high-tech clothing. It's it's like anti-tear, anti-cold, anti-wrinkle, anti-microbial, on and on and on. So we might say that we like the wilderness, that we like camping, but we do everything that we can to ensure that we don't have an actual wilderness adventure when we're out there. And I think you can see where I'm going with this, right? So Lent is a 40-day spiritual journey, and it always begins here with Jesus in the wilderness. The number 40 reminds us of several Old Testament um, wilderness pilgrimages. The wilderness is a place of testing, a place of refinement. It's a time in which we leave behind all the blaring noise of civilization. We lighten our packs and we bring the bare essentials out with us, and there we still ourselves, and we wait, and we listen for the voice of God. And I think just as we resist the literal wilderness, I think we also resist spiritual wilderness, don't we? We don't easily enjoy or like to go into places of deep silence, of patient listening, of self-examination. It's not fun to place yourself vulnerably before the Lord in that sort of way and then pray for his Holy Spirit to examine you. What a terrifying thing to ask for. Well, today we're going to be looking at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, which in Mark's gospel is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. So, first of all, this, this story is also told in Matthew and Luke's gospels. Uh, and in those narratives, there's a lot more dialogue that happens right? So Satan is, is coming after Jesus, and in Matthew and Mark, we, we hear the conversation between the two. But in Mark's account, it's much shorter. In fact, the, the entire temptation narrative is about two verses. Did you notice that? But every single phrase is just packed. It's, it's saturated with significance and meaning. So for us, Lent is this annual, it's this predictable sort of wilderness journey, right? Like we can, we can open up our prayer books and we can, we can see what's coming ahead in the lectionary and whatnot. But what we do here when we enter into Lent is we're also training ourselves when we do this. 
We're training our souls for wilderness experiences that might come up at other times of the year or that we might be in at this precise moment. Because the fact is, is that we live in a chaotic world. And whether you like it or not, the wilderness will find you at some point. And it's not about what gear you pack, how much money you've spent on that gear, or anything like that. It's about who's with you in the wilderness. Because who you're with determines what kind of experience you're going to have and whether or not you're actually going to make it through. Now, the good news that the Bible proclaims to us, that Jesus tells us, is that he's with us. He's with us in the wilderness. He descends down from heaven and he joins us in our wilderness experiences. So I want to move through this passage and there's kind of two major themes that I want to address in this um, and then we'll conclude it. So isn't it interesting that the temptation of Jesus comes immediately after the baptism? Did you pick that up? Did you hear that? So at the baptism, this is such a, a beautiful sort of mountaintop experience for Jesus, right? Like it's, it's a highlight, it's a beautiful moment. He hears the voice of the Father just booming with pride over the Son, over him. And then the Holy Spirit descends on him. The, the heavens are, are torn open, the passage says. It's as if heaven itself is spilling out and anointing Jesus with power. But then immediately, the Spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness and this is where Satan sees Jesus in his vulnerability and comes after him, right? This is where Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And so Jesus goes from baptism to temptation, from water to wilderness, from affirmation to opposition. And this is our pattern as well, isn't it? Uh, Tim Keller speaks about this. He says, every time there's a, mo a movement of the Spirit, there's always a movement of the enemy, and so this is the pattern of our lives. We can't expect to, to have these protected, mountaintop, sort of beautiful, intimate moments with, with uh, God all the time. There's always going to be a moment, always, always, always. It's, it's as if it's a, a law of the cosmos that we will always descend into a moment of chaos, a moment of temptation, a moment of wilderness. So I don't know the story of everyone here in the room. I imagine there's just a, a huge variety, a sort of a, a spectrum of experiences, of stories that you might all carry. Some of you might just, you know that you love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, and strength. And some of you, though, you might be coming here today with some pretty heavy doubts that are on your mind. Or some of you, perhaps this is the first time that you've been in church uh, ever or in a long time, and so maybe you're asking questions about who Jesus is and, and who are these people uh, who, who claim to follow him. Well, one of the messages of the Bible is that all of you, all of us, are intentionally made in the image of God. That is, we bear his image to society. Have you ever thought about what that might mean? I think one of the things that it means is that we, we carry a, a, a bit of divinity with us, right? I think one aspect of this is that God has given us an ability, or he's designed us for relationship, he has designed us to be aware of, of our surroundings, to, to be able to enter into relationship with one another, but also enter into relationship with him. He's given us minds and imaginations to perceive the things of God, to consider his character and his ways. He's also given us a hunger to desire good things, like beauty and truth and goodness. This is part of what it means to be image bearers, to be created in the image of God. 
many of you here have also been baptized. And maybe it was in a, a beautiful church building like this. Uh, maybe you were baptized outside in, in, in a creek somewhere. Regardless of, of what that situation was, it was a holy moment. Jesus stood with you in those waters. The Father smiled upon you in that moment. The Holy Spirit anointed you in that moment and, and sealed you. In other words, you stepped into a life of grace, a life, a free gift of, of the love and the life of God in that moment. But what that also means is that there's another reality at play. Satan is also here. He wants to destroy you. All of humanity bears the image of God, and so Satan, he finds this absolutely repulsive. And if you've been baptized, that's like putting a target on your back, right? Satan comes after us, and he, he wants to fill both of your ears with his lies. In, in one ear, he says, oh, you're not worthy. Surely God doesn't love you. Uh, you should be ashamed of yourself. And then on the, in the other ear, he simultaneously says the opposite message to us, that you're probably better off without God, that you're, you're too good for him, or you'll be happier apart from him and his church. Satan just comes at us with full force constantly. Spiritual highs, uh, sort of reveling in the beauty and the goodness of God, are always followed by spiritual lows. And any flavor of Christianity that's out there that's telling you something opposite is not Christianity, because this is the truth of the Bible. The spiritual highs are always followed by spiritual lows, and sometimes that transition can happen in the blink of an eye. And so I think the first thing that we can glean from this passage is to expect opposition. Now, like I said, this, this passage, it's, it's short. It's got a lot of really kind of um, interesting phrases in this. And, you know, maybe if, if you've read through Mark several, several times, uh, you, you might even kind of glaze over some of these phrases. But they're kind of strange. So we're told that Jesus is with the wild animals. Okay. The angels are also ministering to him. Oh, my. So the wilderness kind of sounds like a crowded place, doesn't it? <laughs> so what exactly is going on here? Well, first, let's, let's talk about the wild animals. This is, this is a weird phrase. And, and interestingly, Matthew and Luke, in, in their accounts of this story, they don't make any mention of, of wild animals. Uh, so it's kind of odd, especially given the fact that they're longer, that Mark actually has this fact. It's also not a phrase, that is, wild animals, that's found anywhere in the New Testament. So... What's going on here? Why does Mark say this? Well, keep in mind who Jesus is. And for us who who've, uh, are familiar with Mark, we shouldn't be surprised because Mark has already said at the beginning of his gospel who Jesus is. He says that he is the Christ. That is, that he's the Messiah, the long-promised one, the one for whom Israel has been waiting for generations and generations. He's the Messiah. He's the one who comes to announce that the kingdom of heaven is here. The ancient prophets foretold of, of this moment in which the Messiah would walk among us. And get this, one of the markers of the kingdom of heaven is that there would be harmony and shalom among all of nature, all of creation. In fact, hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion will be together. And then he says, a child will lead them. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand on the nest of the snake and not be hurt. What's happening here in the temptations? 
Why are there wild animals that are there? Jesus might not be a child, but he is the son of God. He's the son of man. That's one of the titles that he prefers. I think what we're seeing here is that we're seeing Jesus actually undo the curse that was given to humanity in the book of Genesis. Here we see Jesus, or in Jesus, we see heaven coming down to earth. We're seeing a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven now unfolding in the world around us. It's as if the Garden of Eden itself is being restored, even in the wilderness, even in places where Jesus goes. And that ancient serpent, Satan, slithers up close to, Satan, close to Jesus, and Jesus is not harmed by Satan. In fact, nature itself is made calm by the presence of the Son of God. The wild animals are made still by his presence. They are not to be feared when heaven is near. In Jesus, heaven touches earth. He is the Lord of nature. So the angels are also ministering here. Do you believe in angels? Have you ever seen an angel before? Do you believe that, that creatures from heaven, uh, which usually are invisible to our eyes, are here with Jesus? You know, I, I mentioned earlier kind of human consciousness. It's, I like apologetics. I like science. I like, I like thinking and talking about these things. Um, and I think that that's something that we can kind of take for granted of ourselves. Is that weird to say? Um, but, you know, it, it, it's a mystery. Like, scientists and, philo and philosophers can't explain the fact that, that we have consciousness. But it's a mystery that we kind of take for granted. I mean, I mean we, we don't even really think about this, right? But this is a mystery. This is a, an invisible reality that we all just take as a matter of fact, that, that we exist. And not only that, but that the, the people around us also exist. So if we take for granted this invisible reality that is inside of us, why do we have such a hard time grappling with invisible realities that are outside of us? Do you see the connection that I'm trying to make? Like we are spiritual creatures. We know this in our souls, no matter how much science tries to explain this. We, we are eternal spiritual creatures. And so to hear about other creatures in the world, in the cosmos, coming and, and ministering to the Lord of heaven? What a beautiful moment. Because here Jesus is he's being accosted. He's, he's being threatened. He's, he's uh, being um, stressed and ridiculed and, and tempted. And in this moment, heaven is coming around him and holding him up and, 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 and encouraging him in this moment. Angels are attending to Jesus. So yes, we can expect opposition in the wilderness, but we can also expect to encounter heaven itself in the wilderness because Jesus is there. He is the Lord of nature. Wild animals are made calm by him. He is the Lord of heaven. Angels attend to him. And Jesus is there in the wilderness, brothers and sisters. So we'll continue to work through and, and, and um, read um, passages from Mark's gospel throughout the rest of this ministry year. And as we follow this story, um, passage by passage, we'll see that the, the temptation, the story of the temptation is, is just one occasion in which Satan actually comes after Jesus. This is just one skirmish of many. As the story unfolds, Satan continues to come through possessed persons, through uh, stirring up storms and whatnot. It's, uh, he is constantly trying to take down our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, at one moment, he gets him. Satan tricks one of Jesus' closest friends 
And Jesus is then betrayed into the hands of, of wicked men. He's beaten and he's crucified. He actually dies. And everyone, all everyone around, all of his friends, the governmental leaders, everyone, they thought that that was the end of the story. Jesus is gone. He's been dealt with. But the death of Jesus is not the final word. After three days in the grave, Jesus rose again. He appeared to his disciples. He, was, he forever disarmed the lies of Satan. They wouldn't stand anymore. They've been disproven. They've been disarmed. The, the power has been sucked out of Satan because Jesus is alive. He is the Lord of nature and the Lord of heaven. And his death gives rise to new life. So what does this mean for us? We're in a wild, chaotic world. It feels like Lent all the time sometimes, right? It's a wild, chaotic, unpredictable, tumultuous world. But Jesus walks among us. He's calling us. He, he asks us to come and follow him. He invites us into the waters of baptism so that we might be cleansed by him, so that we can hear the assurance of sins forgiven, that we aren't defined by the things that we've done. We're not defined by the guilt that we carry, but we can be washed and we can, ent we can enter into relationship with Jesus himself. So friends, here in the wilderness, call out to him. May you call out to him. His spirit is here working among us. Open your hearts and say, Lord Jesus, examine my hearts. Reveal the things inside of me that are tripping me up. I put those before you because I'm tired of being beaten by, it, by the storms of this world, by the waves of this world. I want to walk in the victory of you, Lord Jesus Christ. So in many um, churches, uh, the candlesticks are made of beeswax. Do you know this? So this is a reminder that all of creation bows down and worships the Lord of nature, Jesus Christ. And our liturgy reminds us when we worship him, every single week we hear this, that we are joined by angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. That's right. There are invisible realities that are here. He is the Lord of nature, the Lord of heaven. He is the one who we worship. Jesus is the one from death brings life. The author of Hebrews says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That is, he's been resurrected and he now sits in the heavenly places. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession or our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. He is the victorious one, right? And so then, let us with confidence draw near, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Do you hear what we have access to, brothers and sisters? By the victory of Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room of heaven. We have the access to, to the throne of grace. And he provides help to us in times of need. Is that what you need right now? Do you need spiritual help right now? Draw near to Jesus. His gifts are free and abundant. He has power over Satan. He clothes you with his righteousness. He pours his Holy Spirit into you. And he even nourishes you with his own presence, his body and blood. So by his grace, he gives us the help that we need. Please pray with me.
Lord Jesus, you know every person who is in this room. You know the burdens that we carry, the needs that we have, Lord. The thorns in our flesh, Lord Jesus. You know the things that trip us up, the lies that trip us up. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would heal us. Lord Jesus, may you make us whole. Lord Jesus, may you disperse the work of the devil from here, from from our homes, from our neighborhoods, from our own hearts, Lord Jesus. Because we want to be whole. We want to see you more clearly, Lord Jesus. We want to bask in in your love and in your light, O God of the universe. So Lord, this Lent, Lord, may this be a time of, of restoration, a time, Lord, in which you heal us and you renew us and you make us more into your image. We ask this, Christ, in your name and for your glory. Amen.